We are proud to partner with MyFlex Learning. MyFlex Learning is a scheduling platform that helps middle and high schools meet the individual needs of all students. Students can easily create and manage time for flex blocks, wind time, activity periods, RTI, counselor and teacher appointments, and so much more. Even my favorite, Synergy Time. And with its built-in accountability tool and reporting features, MyFlex Learning solves your challenges around getting kids where they need to be and understanding how flex time is spent. Make flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com slash BE to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's myflexlearning.com slash BE. This B Podcast Network show is presented by IXL. IXL's all-inclusive online teaching and learning platform simplifies edtech needs and accelerates achievement in 95 of the top 100 U.S. school districts. IXL delivers personalized learning across a comprehensive pre-K-12 curriculum, including math, language arts, science, and social studies, and helps you assess student performance through actionable, real-time insights at every level of your school or district. This one solution performs work that typically requires dozens of tools. Want to find out why so many leading districts trust IXL? Visit IXL.com BE. That's IXL.com slash B-E. Welcome to Transformative Principle, where you learn how to be a leader and not just a manager of a to-do list. I'm your host, Jethro Jones. You can find me on Twitter at Jethro Jones. Your to-do list is a hungry monster that is never satisfied. For the last year and a half, I've helped principals get awards, get promoted, and find the time to do the work that really matters. I recently opened a new mastermind slot. Schedule a call with me and let's overcome the stressed and isolated principal position together. Go to the show notes for this episode at transformativeprincipal.org and click schedule a call with Jethro. Welcome to Transformative Principal. This is episode 267. Wow. And I am talking with Dr. Greg Goins, the host of the Reimagined Schools podcast. And we actually did a simulcast because I thought that I f- lost the file, but somehow it magically reappeared. So I will take it. So what you're going to get is two episodes all packed into one today. First, we're going to do the simulcast with Dr. Greg Goins, and then I will add my interview with him onto. Actually, yeah, we'll do it that way. I'll add my interview with him onto the end of it, and I hope that you enjoy it. In the show notes for this episode, I will include links to the K-12 magnet stuff that I'm working on, things that I shared with the board. If you care about that, you can find it. And then if you want to go and be notified when I do announcements and things for the K-12 magnet, you can go to transformativeprincipal.org slash episode 1049. And there is a little box on there that says get updates about researching a K-12. You can uh, check that out, put your email in there and I'll be sending you updates as I do them about the K-12 Magnet School. So thank you so much for listening. Without further ado, here is our simulcast. And then immediately following that will be my interview with Dr. Greg Goins. Thank you so much for listening to Transformative Principle. Hello again, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Reimagined Schools podcast. Have a very exciting opportunity for you. For all of our loyal listeners, this is our very first simulcast as we bring in Jethro Jones from Transformative Principle. And Jethro, we're going to try to do this show together today. Yeah, I'm excited, man. Let's do it. 
I have been a fan of yours for a long time. And let me begin first by saying congratulations. I know you just celebrated your fifth uh, year anniversary for Transformative Principle. That is amazing. There are a lot of people out there in this market putting out educational podcasts, but to make it for five years is truly special. So kudos to you. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate it. I was so nervous when I started that nobody would ever agree to come on. And now uh, this is episode 267 for me. So it's just been awesome. I actually have not missed a week in that entire five years of releasing a new podcast. That is unbelievable. And, and you know, we, we've kind of talked about this before. There are a lot of people out there uh, creating podcasts. It seems like everybody wants to have a podcast today. And that's great because I think there's room for all of us. But that magic number in my mind is always kind of 100. If you make it to 100 episodes, you may be able to build an audience and have a little staying power. And you've certainly done that. Well, yeah, it certainly, uh, certainly feels that way. And I'm just really grateful for anybody who is listening that are sticking around and they're still listening after all this time. And for new people coming on, it's awesome that they can still discover it and, and have that opportunity. Yeah, so this is kind of a special treat for my listeners, uh, hopefully as well as uh, your listeners, to kind of combine forces here. Uh, your day job, uh, you're a middle school principal in Fairbanks, Alaska, and you've been a school leader for quite some time and have had great success as a digital principal of the year in 2017 with the uh, National Association of Secondary School Principals. So you have a, a sterling record of achievement, and uh, you know, hopefully we can learn about what you're doing in your school. You have a very exciting opportunity. You're designing a new K-12 magnet school, and I can't wait to jump in and talk to you about that. Yeah, I'm really excited about that because I really am trying to change school from the inside out. I believe in public education. I think that it's the right thing to do and the right way to go. And so I am working hard to make that as successful for as many students as possible. And, you know, it's just something that I keep on pushing for. And this K-12 magnet is a way for us to do the best kind of school that we possibly can with the talent that we have and meeting the needs of the families in our community. So kind of walk me through this. How does this happen? I know you've been in Alaska for a while. You, you were a teacher and school leader in Utah before moving to Alaska. Does someone come to you and say, Mr. Jones, we have this vision for a new school can you help us? Or what was the process to actually get the ball rolling? Well, you know, I think that that question is so important because you can't wait around for people to say, please go do this. You've got to have a vision and know where you're going to be able to achieve great things. And so for me, I've had this dream of doing a K-12 school since I applied to college and got rejected way back when I was a young man. And the school, I, I wrote in there that I wanted to create a K-12 school that would be totally different from what it is now. And, you know, here we are many, many years later, and I'm finally able to do that. So I've had this as a vision. I've had this as a goal for a long time. And it's taken me some time to get into the right place where the circumstances were right and the people were right. And we were able to to start doing this. So I've talked about my ideas for a long time. I've been, you know, out there kind of on the fringe in a lot of ways where, you know, sometimes people don't like the ideas that I have because I'm disrupting the status quo. And so I've just been open about that. 
Sometimes people hate me because I have these different ideas. Sometimes people love me because I have these different ideas. But if you have a vision and you can set your sights on that and work towards it, that's when the opportunities present themselves. If I didn't talk about this and have this as an idea, it would have never happened. And so I came to Fairbanks because we were doing a lot of stuff with personalized learning. I knew that that would be the kind of environment where I needed to be to reach my goal. And so I worked with my superintendent when I got here, told her what my vision was and started doing things to show her that I was capable of doing this. And so when the conversation started, then I was able to step in and say, I'm the perfect person to do this and I would happily take it on. And it's, you know, when whenever there's a initiative or something that needs to happen, you can say, you person go do this, or you can choose someone who is already excited and willing to do it. And in my situation, that's what happened. The superintendent saw that I was engaged and passionate about this and said, this is what we need. What do you think? I love the idea. And she had enough faith in me to let me run with it. And um, and that's been a really positive thing also. You know, when I hear you talk about this project, I can tell how passionate you are about it. And it makes, <laughs> it makes me smile when I hear you say things like, uh, you know, disrupting the status quo. That's really the premise of my entire podcast of Reimagining right. Schools. And I know that's one of the reasons you wanted to get into podcasting and blogging and doing other things. You know, systematically, it's still frustrating to me that we're still locked into this old mindset that schools have to look a certain way and function a certain way. And what excites me is talking to people like you that say, you know what, wait a minute, let's try something different. Let's, let's take a different approach because this is not about what classrooms looked like 140 years ago. This is about 21st century kids. That's right. And that, that is the real important piece. And what I've learned very quickly is that not everybody is ready for that kind of a change. You know, people went to school when they were younger. They have an idea in their mind of what it's supposed to look like. And so it's a big deal for them to see and experience something different than what it is that they have experienced themselves. And so it's, it's a tough change because people don't like to change and they like to be familiar with things. And we have whole parts of our society that are totally based on you know, the things that we do in school and people associate them with that. And so, you know, I was looking in a, in a planner the other day for kids and it had all the periods laid out that they would go to in a school day. And when you get, when you buy a planner for an adult, it doesn't have your schedule already pre-built in there for you, but we've had this system for so long of what it looks like in education that you know, whole industries have cropped up around it, and it's it's just very difficult to change. But the change is totally worth it because we see amazing things happen when we do change. And you know, I, I've often thought if I ever had the chance to redesign a school or come in to transform a school, if you if you will, you know, where would I begin? And I'm sure you've gone through that, and you've had some probably lumps along the way. But I mean, just to throw some things out at you. You know, you think about breaking the traditional mold. You think about what's doing best for kids and teachers in a digital climate. You know, think about this idea that why do all eight-year-olds have to be in third grade? 
You know, why do we have to have every classroom with with, uh, with desks and straight rows and the teacher delivering um, a lecture style uh, of instruction? You know, why can't we engage more in personalized learning, which you've talked about, or project-based learning? So I'm sure all these things have kind of fluttered about in your mind as, as you've had some of these conversations. So where are you at and how have those ideas been received? Yeah, so for me, it, it goes all the way back to having a vision for your school. And my vision for education is that we give kids what they need when they need it. And, you know, a lot of times that is not the academic content. A lot of times it's the social emotional skills. It's the soft skills they need. It's, you know, giving them what they need when they need it. And it varies by student and by school. And so in the, those ideas that you talked about with personalized learning and things like that, when you talk to people one-on-one, nobody disagrees that that's what they want for their kid. Every parent I talk to says, I want you to give a personalized experience to my child. And they don't say it just like that, but that's what they want. Like We know that everybody wants their kid to be treated special. And they should because every person is special. Every person is a unique and wonderful human being that deserves respect and kindness and a personalized plan for them to help them learn what they need to learn to be successful in their life. And so, you know, we have, we have these big, huge standards, you know, for math and science and reading and, and everything. And they don't take into account who the kid is sitting in front of us. That's where we need to start. And so when you ask, how are these things received? You know, every single parent that I talk to, when I say, this is what we're trying to do, we're trying to give your kid what your kid needs when your kid needs it. They're like, yes, I don't want anything else. But then that, that cognitive dissonance of sometimes that means that, you know, they're, they're not getting the same academic stuff as everybody else because they actually don't need that. So can we accelerate them? Do we need to hold them back a little bit in certain areas? How do we need to adjust for them? But that's what every single parent wants. Now, when you actually go and make those changes, not every parent loves that you're making those changes because they want to see their child as special in a different way. Like my kid is gifted. So my kid needs to have these experiences that not other kids have. When in reality, everybody benefits from those varied experiences that are different. And, and that's what we need to keep pushing for. I'm not sure if that answered your question or not, but yeah, <laughs> there I, think, you go. I think that's great. Uh, I'm talking with Jethro Jones today, outstanding middle school principal from Fairbanks, Alaska. And this is our simulcast between Reimagine Schools podcast and the transformative principal. And I'll ask you one more question, then I'll kind of let you take the lead here for the last part of the podcast. I know you have an extensive background in technology, and, and that's something that I know is near and dear to your heart. You even have a fantastic iBook out called The Paperless Principle. And, and folks, you can get that at JethroJones.com. Where does technology fit into this idea of reimagining schools? Well, technology is really a force multiplier. If you're a really good teacher, technology can make you even better. But if you're a bad teacher, technology just makes you a worse teacher. And same with a principal, same with a human being, like technology can bring out the highlights and lowlights of everybody. And, you know, we see that all the time on social media and 
what we need to do is we need to implement technology when it's appropriate and not just for technology's sake. So my librarian at RunnerGirlT on Twitter, she is just amazing and does so many wonderful things. And she has all this technology information in her head and is ready to like give it at a moment's notice, but she doesn't shove it down people's throats and say, you have to use this technology tool, you know? So like we were talking the other day about Flipgrid and she was saying like Flipgrid is so popular right now and everybody's using it. But what I really want is for people to, I want to solve a problem for people so that they have an opportunity to say, this is my problem. And then I can present a tech tool that will solve it. And that is really what I believe. So you brought up paperless principle in the district that I was in when I wrote that, that was exactly what I needed to do my job because we were so paper heavy. And there was so much like all these things that we need to document and write down and then communicate. And so you'd write it down on the paper and then you would then write it in an email to the parent and then write it in an email to the teacher. And it was like, it was so crazy (laughs) because it it was just too much. And so I wrote that book because I needed to find some processes to make my life better. And in the districts that I went to after that, we haven't been as paper dependent. And so I haven't needed that as much as I needed it then. I still use a lot of the same practices and things. One thing that is just, in my opinion, the greatest use of technology is automating things that can be automated. So, you know, we had a lot of kids on behavior trackers and, you know, seeing how their behavior was throughout the day. And then somehow those, those papers didn't get home, but we needed to make sure the parents knew how they were doing. And so I was able to create a little rule where I would scan it into the computer and it would shoot that off to the parents so that by the time the kid got to the car, when the parent was picking them up, the parent would have that email on their phone. They'd be able to see it and see how the kid's day went before the kid even got into the car so that they didn't waste their time arguing or fighting about how their day went. They would know already and then they'd be able to ask questions that would help them have a positive relationship and not be always focusing on the negative. And that's that's one little piece from six years ago that I still use as much as I possibly can. You got to find ways to make it so that school is not a contentious issue with parents and students, but that it is something that they can talk about in an excited way that they can be passionate themselves as parents and as students about what they're learning and how things are going in school. So, so let's transition a little bit here and let, you can take the mic and kind of speak directly to your listeners uh, with transformative principle. And, and of course, listen to new listeners with reimagined schools and kind of, um, you know, tell me what's on your mind today. So what's really on my mind is this idea of, of what we're doing with the K-12 magnet school. It's going to be um, competency-based. It's going to be kids are going to move at the level that's appropriate for them. And then there's going to be this big social emotional component. And, you know, in my family, every Sunday we have a family council and we set goals about what we're going to accomplish that week. And last year for 2018, we decided to start setting yearly goals. And this year we've adopted monthly goals with our kids. And I got to tell you, Greg, (laughs) the growth that I've seen in my kids from setting goals and, you know, thinking about who they are and taking that social emotional piece with my own children 
of like thinking about the kind of people they want to become and the kind of people I want them to become. We've got to do that more in schools because the growth is amazing. Just a, a quick story. My son, who is eight years old, he set a goal to be able to go to school without feeling anxious about it because he struggled with that. He's felt anxiety about going to school. And he set that goal by himself. I didn't tell him, this is what you need to do. He saw something in his life that he wasn't happy with and he wanted to change it. And each one of my kids, I've got four of them, they've each gone through something like that. And I've started doing that with kids at school where I I ask them to set goals about the kinds of things that they are interested in and especially things that are that are personal to them and seeing the growth when we ask kids to do that is just amazing and it's so fascinating because like people have been learning and growing for thousands of years without a formal educational system and we have this innate desire to do that and so what we need to do is unlock that and our current model of schools doesn't unlock it. It, I think it in fact um, tries to eliminate it, that it takes away that curiosity, it takes away that drive, and it makes it so that they are only looking to do what the teacher says to do, which is not a healthy way to live and it's not a good way to live. They need to be self-motivated, self-determined. They need to make their own future, not you know leave it up to somebody else telling them what they should and should not do. And, you know, I couldn't agree more because, you know, the the traditional schoolhouse is such a controlled environment. Uh, From the time kids get there in the morning to the time they leave at 3.30 or whenever, we tell them what to do constantly. And then as they become adults, we expect them to be able to make their own decisions and become critical thinkers. And Mm -hmm. uh, I, I love this idea that you're giving these students, probably young students, a little bit of ownership to say, hey, this is what I believe. This is what I have an interest in. This is my passion. And I, I think we just need to stop and listen to kids sometimes. I think the mm-hmm. adults just need to get out of the way and listen more to kids because, you know, kids, if we give them the opportunity, they will surprise you. Yeah, absolutely. They do all the time. And we, we rarely give them authentic opportunities to do that. And we need to do more of that. And it's tough because... Teachers don't want to let go of control. They want to maintain that control. And much of our system is designed for that to happen. And if we can let loose a little bit, we can see some success. One quick story, and then I have a question for you at the end of it. We have some students at my school uh, who are working on what we call Synergy, which is this student-driven time during the day twice a week where they come up with their own projects and there's very, very little adult interaction. It is almost all, you know, kids choosing what they're going to do and how they do it. And it's really awesome. And I love it. So we have some kids who are doing all these different kinds of amazing things that are not related to school at all. And yet they're learning so much from that process. Some of them fail at it and they don't do a good job and they don't create anything meaningful. And so then they get disbanded and we tackle a new project with them. And what I've seen from this, you know, we started this year and, and the whole first semester, I was like, I'm ready to pull the plug. I'm ready to pull the plug because it's a lot of time. And, you know, it's not what school usually is. And so there's no test scores associated with it. They don't get a grade. They get, everybody gets a passing grade for it. And 
there's no incentive for them to do it other than they want to. And, and as I do this, I'm like, I'm ready to pull the plug as soon as like something bad happens or it's not going to work. We see that too many kids are not being successful. But after the first semester, when we had the students all present what they were doing, <laughs> there were so many kids doing awesome things that I couldn't, I couldn't pull the plug on it because kids were like volunteering at a neighborhood school, bringing kids over from that school to learn things in our gym, volunteering out in the community, doing all these kinds of different things that, that they just wouldn't have been able to do in a regular school day. And yet here they are anxiously engaged in something that is meaningful to them and meaningful to the community. And it, it's just an awesome experience. So very cool, very exciting. So my question for you now is, what is it that we should be focusing on as we are doing these new and innovative things in our schools? As you know, I'm doing this K-12 and like, where, where should I be putting my emphasis to make sure that it is a school that's reimagined in the best way possible? Well, you know, first of all, I love the idea of giving kids choice. And, and that's kind of what you're doing there with that non-traditional genius hour. Some people call it 20% time. Yep, give yep. them an opportunity to find their passion and, and explore those things. And, and I think that's a great approach because we have to get kids excited about school. And I don't know what it is about uh, as kids get older and they move up to different grade levels. Uh, you know, I have a, a nephew, a great nephew that just started kindergarten a couple years ago. He was so excited about school, everything from riding the school bus to eating lunch in the cafeteria. You know, now he's in second grade and you can't get him out of bed. And so yeah. what, what has happened during that two year period to go from this tremendous love for going to school every day to now it's just become a chore? Is it because we're forcing him to do things that he's not interested in? So that's, that's probably the first thing that jumps off the page to me. The other thing is we spend so much time asking kids to memorize useless material and to put them through this chapter or that chapter of the textbook because we think that's what we're supposed to do. Especially young teachers do this. And we, we have to do a better job in our teacher ed programs at the college level. And I'm part of that in my job now in higher ed. But let's teach life skills. Let's teach kids how to change a flat tire. Could you imagine? Uh, you know, if you were driving down the road and you had a flat tire all of a sudden, you know, could the 16 and 17 year old students today in our high schools be able to do that? You know, instead of teaching advanced math skills, and I'm not saying that's not important for some professions. You know, if you're an engineering student, you need to have that foundation of, of uh, advanced math skills. But let's teach kids how to manage their own money. Let's talk about credit card debt. Let's talk about the Dave Ramsey concept of debt in general. Let's talk yeah. about how to, how to actually get a loan and buy a house. You know, I think we spend too much time, you know, dealing with things that I don't want to say that they don't matter, but aren't as important as we think about preparing kids for their future as adults. And that's just kind of my take on it. Yeah. And the reality is, is that they're not important, Greg. And we think they're important because we teach them every day. But the reality is, is that they're not. I mean, you can ask anybody and I do it all the time. Give me, of all the things that you remember from your childhood education, what do you remember? Everybody always says the teachers that cared about them that they liked, right? Nobody remembers a specific lesson or a specific concept. This just doesn't happen. One little thing academic-wise that I have kept 
is writing in outline format when I'm taking notes. And at some point, someone, I don't know who, somebody taught that to me and that has stuck around. That's great. Now, imagine if I had been taught Cornell notes when I was a kid. Imagine if I had been taught any other like visual note taking. I don't see myself as an artist, but what if I had been taught that when I was in kindergarten, that when the teacher reads a story, I draw pictures to help me remember the story. Like, how different would that be if that was a skill that I could start developing in kindergarten? Just exposure to those things would be amazing. And so instead of saying like, this is all we can teach what's in this curriculum thing, let's really think about the things that people actually remember from their educational careers. And it's not the content that they're taught. Nearly everybody forgets that as soon as it is over. And there's plenty of studies to show that when you take a test, you know, if you took the same test three months later, you'd do awful on it. I totally agree with that. I'd fail almost every single one of my, (laughs) any tests that they give me from, you know, any of my college classes, I'm sure I'd fail them at this point. Yeah. And, you know, uh, our colleagues, friends and colleagues, at least on social media, Jeff Zul and Jimmy Casas have a new book out Mm -hmm. called Stop Right Now. And it's not necessarily about what innovative things you need to incorporate into your school. It's a list of, I think, 38 things that we have to stop doing. I mean, there are a lot of things that we do that just make no sense. You know, why do we give times tests uh, to elementary Mm -hmm. students? Does it really matter how quickly you can turn in your multiplication tables? Or is it more important that you spend the time and get it done right? You know, why do Mm -hmm. we spend three weeks in the elementary school level memorizing states and capitals when all you have to do is ask Siri? The world has Mm -hmm. changed and we have to change with it. We have to... We have to create, you know, opportunities for kids that are relevant to their world. And I think we're missing that a lot of times. Yeah, I, I totally agree wholeheartedly. And on that piece about like time tests, you know, one of my teachers has kids memorize different countries in different parts of the world. And so then she gives them an online quiz that is, you know, just out there. You can search for online quiz for the countries of Europe or whatever, and you'll find it. And then you're able to take it. So what I do is I like to go in there when she's doing that. And then I, I take the test myself and then dare any student to beat me at that test. And I don't think that, you know, this is a particularly meaningful thing, but to make it meaningful to these kids, I give them an opportunity to beat the principal at knowing this information. And then, you know, I don't get a great score usually, you know, like 80 to 90%, but kids who are struggling it motivates them to actually care about it and actually try it, you know? And so what, what's so funny is that I go in there and I'm like, hey, I'm going to take this test and here's what I got. I don't think any of you could beat me. And they're like, oh yeah, watch me. Especially those kids who are like the troublemakers and who want like any opportunity to try to beat the principal. Like they get in there and they get excited about it. And these kids are like, never in class or always trying to get out of it, always trying to do something different. And here's this great opportunity. I walk in, throw out a challenge, and then they they go after it. Not because they want to learn the, the countries, but because there's now a relevant reason for them to do it. And so I love doing that and throwing the kids off because, you know, they think I'm just a dumb old man. And in a lot of ways I am, but, you know, at least at least we can get some competition going. Well, this has been fun, and I really appreciate you taking the time. Uh, Again, this is our uh, simulcast between the Reimagined Schools podcast and Transformative Principle. 
Jethro Jones, an outstanding middle school principal in Alaska, is the host of Transformative Principal. You certainly want to check that out. And thanks, Jethro. It's been fun. Thank you. I've really enjoyed it. All right. We'll talk soon and keep us updated on your K-12 magnet school progress. We're excited about it. I sure will. Thank you. Real quick, as I transition between these two interviews, I wanted to just take a moment and let you know about the trauma-informed practices stuff that I've been working on. I've done a webinar and created a course for you. So if you have a need for dealing with trauma in your school, please go to jethrojones.com slash trauma and check that out. And there'll be a link to that in the show notes as well. Thanks so much. And here's the second part of the interview with Greg Goins. Once again, that's jethrojones.com slash trauma. Welcome to Transformative Principle. I am excited to have Dr. Greg Goins on the program today. He is the host of the Reimagine Schools podcast and a former superintendent, principal, teacher, coach, and probably just about any job he could do in education. So, Greg, welcome to the podcast today. I am thrilled to be here, Jethro. I've been a fan of yours for a very long time and I've been a listener, a loyal listener of Transformative Principle for a long time, too. So, It's exciting to connect with you. Well, excellent. I'm excited to have you on. When your podcast launched back in June, I started listening to it, and I've also been really enjoying it. So I want to say thank you for your work as well. Can we talk a little bit about what Reimagined Schools means and your approach to changing education? Sure. You know, I I spent 15 years as a school district superintendent in Illinois. Now I work in higher education. Uh, I'm a full-time professor, and I lead a a principal program at Georgetown College, uh, about 12 miles from from Lexington. And, you know, during my time uh, in K-12 education, I was always one of those guys that kind of prided myself on thinking outside the box a little bit. You know, you have to have the courage to try new things. And once I became a connected educator on Twitter, uh, my world just kind of opened up because there were so many wonderful ideas out there and people willing to share their thoughts and ideas. And, and I've always kind of had the mindset that we have to find a way to create better schools for kids. Uh, systematically, the old factory model, as I've heard you call it a few times, just no longer works. And that's not to say that we don't have great schools out there. We don't have great teachers, don't have great principals and superintendents because we do. But I think systematically, we really need to think differently about what we're doing because we're preparing kids for a much different world. So the whole concept of reimagined schools is just to have the courage to think differently. And uh, this is, you know, it's, it's not about the adults in the building. It's about the kids. And so let's find a way to help them learn some of those life skills that are really going to help them as they grow older in a in a world that's really saturated with technology skills and jobs that haven't been invented yet. Yeah, you know, I love the idea of no child left behind, not the law, but the idea of that sentence, right? And unfortunately, that sentence got turned into law and now it gives everybody a bad taste in their mouth. And like you said, we have great schools, but we're not meeting the needs of every single kid. And there are kids who are falling through the cracks who are, who aren't set up to be, you know, cogs in a machine and, and we're really doing them a disservice by not adjusting what our school is for them. And, and I find that to be a really 
important thing that needs to needs to be adjusted. You talked a little bit about Twitter and how that had a great impact on you. Why do you think that Twitter was so important? And I hear people say that, and I say that myself. What is it about Twitter that makes it so transformative for educators? Well, someone out there, someplace has dealt with a similar problem that you have in your school right now, and, and they've come up with a solution. And so you just have to kind of find those people. You have to put it out there uh, and say, hey, Twitterverse, you know, this is kind of what I'm dealing with. We're looking for some solutions. And you'll be amazed at the number of people willing to reach out and help you. Uh, you'll get numerous responses. So, I mean, it's just a, a connected community, if you will, of people that kind of are in the same boat. School leadership, as you know, can be a very isolating profession. And a lot of times the only people that we can really go to are each other. And that may even be not even in your own building. That may be at the district level across town, another principal in another building. And so uh, it can be very lonely at the top, as they say. And and a lot of times I have found, you know, Twitter is just a tremendous resource for all the great ideas and innovative things happening in education. So if you're not on Twitter, you need to get there because it is the place to be. And I love the fact that the education community has kind of taken over and made it our own. Yeah. And what I, the other thing that I think you agree with also is that it really levels the playing field and gives you access to people that you just wouldn't have access to otherwise. And so maybe that's, you know, like you said, somebody who's dealing with a very similar problem to you, but it's also people that, you know, so for example, I was just reading a Carol Black article the other day. And so I had some thoughts about it. So I tweeted it out and I, did a mention of her and then she replied and we had this little dialogue and, you know, she is, you know, in Oregon, totally far away from me, has nothing to do with what, what I'm doing right now, but we were able to have a conversation that refined something that I was pondering and thinking about and just made me, I think, a better educator through that interaction. And that's, you know, that's just one tiny example in hundreds of thousands, if not millions. Yeah, and, and a lot of these people are are very willing to give their time and their expertise to you. You may not be willing to go to the ISTE conference for whatever reason, maybe budgetary reasons or geographic reasons, but you can reach out to a lot of the people that speak that week, and they will get back to you. They'll share their PowerPoint. They'll share their notes, and uh, it's just it's just a community of learners, and it's just uh, I'm proud to be a connected educator because we're always out there trying to help one another. Yeah, and let's let's change gears a little bit and start talking about when you talk about reimagining schools, what are some of the things that you are trying to teach the principals in your collegiate program? What are some things that you're trying to teach them as they go into the workforce about how to how to change schools starting right now instead of like waiting until they get to till they have their own school because they're still in a preparation program? I think the big thing is just to have the courage to have some really difficult conversations. And it, it kind of goes back to the Simon Sinek philosophy of you have to ask why. You know, why are we doing the things that we're doing? Is it good for kids? Is it working? And too many times people get into leadership positions. They don't necessarily want to rock the boat right off the bat. They want to fit in. And in doing that, a lot of times they just kind of uh, succumb to the culture that's there. And, uh, you know, there's nothing wrong with starting slow and, and being a good listener right off the bat, but you have to be able to ask tough questions. And, and that why is, is very important. 
And so you just have to have those conversations and you have to look at best practices, you know, jump on Twitter, participate in a Twitter chat, you know, find a book study group, listen to podcasts like yours. And there are so many wonderful ideas out there. And then just start having conversations with people within your building. And it doesn't have to be something that's, that happens overnight, but you at least need to, to open that door, that Pandora's box, and have some of those difficult conversations. Yeah, you know, people talk about starting slow and not rocking the boat. And I, I struggle with that greatly because there are kids in our buildings that if we don't do something to change, then we're not serving them. And when they're gone, they're they're gone. We don't get to do that over. And so I feel this great sense of urgency that, you know, we need to make the changes right now because these kids are only with us for so long. And any time that goes by without us adjusting to their needs, we're failing them. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, we're on the clock, (laughs) to be honest with you. And every day we don't do something to create better schools for kids. We're losing another group that's going to be walking out the door with uh, maybe a substandard educational experience. So uh, don't be afraid to dive in and have some of those tough conversations. And at the end of the day, you really have to have conversations about what's best for kids. Uh, you know, I've heard you talk about this. I'm very passionate about this idea that, you know, the sit and get model of education, the status quo, uh, everyone is actually an expert in education because everyone went to school at one time or another. And you talk to parents and grandparents and they're like, well, when I was in school and my response is, you know, with all due respect, sir, uh, if if the school looks anything like it did back when I was an elementary student back in the 1970s, then we're doing a huge disservice to your your son or grandson. So we have to we have to think about what's best for kids and prepare them for, again, a, a future in which they're going to have to use a lot of those critical thinking skills. They're going to have to be able to be a part of a team uh, and be collaborative, uh, you know, teammates. Yeah. And, and that piece of, you know, if it looks the same as it did when you were going to school, then that's, that's a big problem. I feel like if it, the next stage in, in the educational evolution is that we're going to have these hyper localized schools that are, really meeting the needs of that specific community that they serve. And they're instead of just like, okay, we're going to make a school improvement plan for this group of people, which those school improvement plans virtually all look the same. We're going to get more tutors for reading and math, and we're going to spend time on that. I mean, that's what they typically look like, but I believe there needs to be more and it needs to go deeper into those specific communities and serve them really, really well. And I see that that is, That's really challenging because, you know, we've got people who grew up in education, were successful. How do you coach people to change when the system worked just fine for them? I think we have to stop looking at kids as individuals that are part of groups. You know, why do all 10-year-olds have to be in fifth grade just because they're 10 years old? Uh, We have to start looking at individual kids. They all have their own talents their own passions, and, you know, they should all have their own individualized learning plan. So we have to, I hate to say it, but I think we really need to individualize education. Every kid matters, and let's quit herding all the cattle into the same room with this one-size-fits-all mentality and hope that those kids that are farther ahead are not going to be bored out of their mind 
and those kids that are struggling aren't going to, you know, be in a situation in which they're going to be embarrassed. Let's do what's best for each individual child. And that takes a lot of work. And that could be a little overwhelming for people. And I can almost hear the eye rolls out there with principals and superintendents that might be listening to this. Doing what's easy is not always what's best for kids. Yeah, that's something that I've believed for a long time that, you know, if every kid had had a real individualized educational plan, not an IEP that is not that individualized in my experience either, but is, you know, if we really took the time to get to know the kid and the family and what they desired and were able to focus on what they needed, we'd go a lot farther. And that's going to require us to change how school is funded, how we buy curriculum and things like that. And, and that's a, that's a big shift. One of the things I'm working on right now is designing a K-12 school from the ground up and how we can figure out how to do just those kinds of things. And one of the challenges that I'm facing is that it's so different from what people are used to that parents, community members, the school board, other principals, other teachers, students themselves, they just can't wrap their heads around doing school like that. So I know we need to have conversations about that, but how do we have those conversations when it really needs to be individualized? How do we have those conversations with everybody? Well, unfortunately, different scares people. And change is probably the most feared word in education, as you very well know. So, I mean, that's a great question. That's something I think about on a regular basis. And the fact that, you know, I have a show called Reimagine Schools. You have Transformative Principle. We recognize that we're kind of in this, in this alternate status quo type universe in which everyone is just scared to death to try anything new because at the end of, end of the day, people don't want to fail, especially those of us that have been in school leadership positions. You're supposed to be the one to have all the answers and to put yourself out on the line and try something unconventional or I would call highly innovative, uh, it is a scary proposition for some people. And you just have to keep beating the drum and keep, you know, sending that message out that, again, you know, the, the system that we have in place has served us well for a long time, but it's a different world. And we have to start thinking differently if we're going to capture uh, the true essence of what our kids need as they move into adulthood. Yeah, and something that you said, like being innovative is scary for some people. That's where like we need an individualized plan for us as teachers and leaders as well. And so the approach that, that I've taken in my schools is, you know, I'm not going to go put a cap on anybody in their skill set. My goal is to support teachers and help them have what they need. But if somebody's ready to like take off and run, I'm going to let them just take off and run and do those innovative good things for kids, but then I'm going to go work with those who aren't quite there yet and have conversations and help them move along so that they're still moving. But those people who are ready to go, I just, you know, I just let them go. And I found that they, they do when somebody's passionate about doing the right work, they really go all out and yeah. teachers are, are like that naturally. Go ahead. Yeah. And you know, I think, it's important to, um, as we talk about how to implement change, uh, one of my favorite words throughout my superintendency and even as a principal was, uh, we're going to try something new and see how it goes. You know, this is going to be a six-week 
our semester-long pilot project uh, because everything really is a work in progress. And it seems like people are much more receptive to trying things if they have an understanding that maybe there's not some finality there because everyone wants to know how is this change going to affect me? What's this going to look like from from my lens? But, I mean, just just have the courage to start and come up with some uh, workable solutions. Find some people in your building that uh, maybe think the same way or are on board with what you want to try. And just give it a try. And the worst thing that's going to happen, and, and you know this from all your years working as a principal, if you fail, you just reboot. You try something different. And it's not rocket science, but it, it feels scary, right? And people don't know how to deal with that when, when they're scared that something might not work well. And, you know, I'm, I'm so grateful for the people that I have worked with because they've totally bought into that idea and are like, okay, we'll try it. And, you know, my, my philosophy is like, we're not committed to anything. We don't have to do something just because we said we're going to do it. We, we can try it out. And if it doesn't work, then let's just back up and say that one didn't work. Let's figure something else out. And, and there's no, no harm, no foul there because if we're really striving to do what's right for our kids, then we're going to be fine. So this year we had a situation where we were trying this thing called synergy. And if you go to transformativeprinciple.org and search for synergy there on the box, you'll be able to see a whole bunch of things that I've talked about that in the past, but we tried that and I was ready to pull the plug like every single step of the way. And as soon as like the critical mass happened where kids weren't being successful, then I did it or I was going to do it. And we did the showcase in December where the kids presented what they were doing, what they had worked on for the first semester. Some kids total complete failures and they did awful. And, but you know what? That was the minority. That was only about a hundred kids out of 400. The other 300 kids were engaged and positive and doing something worthwhile. And it was amazing. But all through that process, I didn't know if it was going to work. And I just said, look, this is something where we know we can get kids engaged and have them do something meaningful. Let's work on it and try to make it happen. But man, I was, I was standing there with the cord in my hand ready to pull that plug at any point. And I had a backup plan. And thankfully we didn't need to get there, but you know, I feel like people felt like this had to happen. This had to work. And in my mind, you know, I was ready. Like as soon as it's not working, we're done and we're cutting our losses and we're going back to something that we know can work. You know, I saw a great quote the other day. I think it was on Facebook from Henry Ford. Uh, it said, those who have never made a mistake usually work for those who have. So we have to create a culture in which it's okay to take a risk and it's okay to fail. And, you know, Pam Moran is, is a, someone I've had on my show several times. She's a fantastic former superintendent in Virginia and she's the uh, co-author of a new book that's out called Timeless Learning. She always talks about during her superintendency, her mindset was to create a culture of yes. Anytime you have a teacher or building principal come to you and they have a crazy idea, the answer should be yes, because we want to encourage people to try new things. Now, that doesn't mean we're not going to try to lead them and guide them a little bit. We don't want them to get too far off the rail if it's going to be, uh, you know, something that maybe is going to create some raised eyebrows within your community. But we're going to try it and we're going to support those folks because at the end of the day, it all comes back to kids and creating a better environment. 
Yeah, I, I love that idea. Create a culture of yes. And that's, that's something that I try to do as well, especially when my teachers have an idea and not like, then they don't have any evidence for it. And it's like, you know, I feel like this is going to work and this is my plan and this is what I want to do. And, you know, the yes mentality of yes, go do that. And then if it doesn't work, then we can talk about it. But if it does work and it usually does because the teacher Teachers are typically risk averse, so they're not going to try something they're not sure is going to work. And if it's their idea, they're going to work so much harder at it to make it work. I mean, you you just set yourself up for so much success with that. So, uh, Greg, the last question that I ask is, what is one thing that a principal can do this week to be a transformative leader like you? Well, again, I'll go back to being a connected educator. If you're not on Twitter, you need to get there. There are so many amazing books that are out now, so many amazing podcasts. I, I don't know about you, but I've been amazed at how the book study concept has just really blown up. And there are so many great education-related books uh, about specific ideas, leadership, uh, you know, someone like Dave Burgess and his publishing company. Uh, you know, there are so many great offerings out there. But, uh, you know, learn as much as you can. And if it's not a book study, Maybe you want to start your own podcast group, uh, learning community. Maybe you want to listen to Transformative Principle or Reimagined Schools. But create a com- your own community of learners, your own PLN, if you will, and just continue to have conversations and try to build momentum for creating that positive change within your school. Because I close every one of my shows, or I try to, with, with this little saying. I said, do what you can in your school and community to create better schools for kids. Because it all comes down to what's best for kids. Yeah, absolutely. And Greg, how do people uh, connect with you and learn from you? Well, you can follow me on Twitter at Dr. Greg Goins, and you can find all of my episodes of the Reimagined Schools podcast at reimaginedschools.net. I'm actually in the early stages of trying to write a book based on uh, the the Reimagined Schools concept, and I'm going to use a lot of the interviews that I've been blessed to uh, participate in with my guests so hopefully that'll be out in 2019 and uh, i'm looking forward to that cool well congratulations and thanks again for taking the time to be on transformative principle today thank you sir do you want to simplify your school's technology save teachers time, improve students' performance on state assessments? You can do it all, but don't waste another minute. Head straight to IXL.com BE to learn how IXL's research-proven teaching and learning platform can help you achieve all these goals. That's IXL.com BE. There are lots of solutions out there for giving students what they need when they need it. But when do they actually do all of those things? You need flexible time. When added into your master schedule, flex time enables students to get extra help or intervention, meet with teachers, make up work, get physical exercise, and try new enrichment offerings. If you're thinking of giving it a try, check out MyFlex Learning, which unlocks the benefits of flexible time without all the headaches you get with it usually. Its intuitive design and SIS integration makes implementation and training a breeze. Make your flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com slash BE to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's myflexlearning.com slash BE.